Well, hello and welcome to Inexos Access All Areas. My name is B, and I will be co-hosting this series of podcasts with my Inexos nerd, Hayden Murdoch. We will be delving deep with you all to explore everything there is to know about this iconic band of brothers in excess, sharing music, tours, videos, albums, and oh, so much more. Well, hello and welcome to Excess Access All Areas, episode 160, the podcast that aims to dive deep in all things great about our favourite band in excess. Do it with a bunch of patrons and loyal listeners and people around the world who love to check out about all the things going on. And with my lovely compadre, B, who looks particularly lovely tonight. How are you, B? That's the second time you've made me blush now. Thank you very much. That's, a, you that's know, nice. You look pretty, you look, you look, look nice and fresh and, and uh, happy. And It must be uh, the red dress that I'm wearing It must tonight. be the red dress. Yes, thank yeah. you very much. How are you, sweetheart? Well, pretty good, actually. Uh, the weather's getting better here in Melbourne. We hit a, a peak temperature the other day of 19, 20 degrees, which uh, for you guys is a cold winter's day, but uh, spring is beckoning just around the corner, B. Yes, it is lovely, even though I'm in my jumper at the moment. Yeah, I hear that it's sweltering over in the States, like a tornado coming in in Florida today as well. So I hope everyone's safe yeah, over look, we there. Yeah, a bit of a bit of a shout out to anyone in America. I know Hawaii and Maui particularly have gone through a whole lot of bushfires recently, and we do have some listeners who do check us out from Hawaii. So uh, aloha to you. Hope families and people are safe there. Uh, I did see a, a news report the other day, I think around San Diego, there was a big massive cyclone going through there, which is quite rare for this time of year with big floods and things suddenly going all the way through Palm Springs across to you know, the central part of, uh, of, uh, of North America there. So big shout out to there. Um, but yeah, look, B, we decided, we decided to get back chatting to you. It feels like we haven't uh, done a more regular podcast for a while. We had a few little featured guests and things, but um how has your in excess uh, week been? I think you've got something to tell us, haven't you? I have. I have. Yep. So do you remember that in excess are, are, are going to be launching their new book soon? In Actually, it's October the 3rd. Well, I've got one. I have got a box in the house. I haven't opened it yet. Ah, that's what that Facebook page photo was for Yeah, there. yeah, no. yeah. And I was very excited. So Neil sent me the track and I've tracked it all around and it was like, oh my God, it arrived. And then he said, Kirk wants to open his first and I haven't got to steal his thunder. So what do you reckon, oh. Hayden? I think there's a bit of media wars going on here. Right, you and you and Kirk's doing a media Kirk. battle. Anything coming down further south to this little Mexican down here in Melbourne? Uh, any copies or deluxe editions or no? That that this was this was <laughs> this one's for me. I bought it. <laughs> okay, full retail odds then. Okay, no problems. Well, that's pretty exciting. But uh, I know, uh, B, uh, we were very very lucky a couple of weeks ago to have uh, you know I guess Jane Gazzo. Um, from the vault there, share a fantastic interview with Ollie, and we are in the midst of uh, raising revenue for him. In the interest of disclosure, I think I did promote a CD that had two signatures on it. I think it's only got one on them. So uh, I do know I needed to clear that uh, up front, but uh, the album version, I guess, with all the signatures, um, it was a bit of a confusing day. I think I got Ollie to sign the album, and then I got Mick to sign the album, then I got the CD, only signed once, and then we got the... After that, then suddenly uh, Ollie's manager comes up, Bruce, and gives me the uh, <laughs> the fully uh, copied signatures with everyone. So, um, But we are excited by that episode, the reach, and just the ability to raise money for Ollie, and we've had some great responses already. 
Okay, let me get that right. So um, we've got the auction going at the moment. Um, it's doing really, really well. We've still got a few more days on that. So please, yep. everybody, go go and um, uh, go and have a check out on that. You can go to that via our, our website, actually. So you have got another vinyl with Ollie Olsen's. Yeah. Oh, I- it was one supposed to be for me because I'm quite happy to donate mine. And give- so I've got I've mm-hmm. got an album here. You know, I said I had the CD version with yeah. the two signatures. I actually got the two signatures on the album. So I've got Mick Harvey there, as you can see. I can't, and I've got no. all these down here in silver texture. Okay. Down here. Yes. So I actually got the two signatures on the album, not on the CD. I just got Mick's okay. on the CD. We could parlay those into a raffle, you know? Yeah, that's what we'll do is we'll we'll raffle off one of those of a um, signed um, vinyls. Yep. Yeah. yeah, and then we'll keep yeah. the CD for another time, maybe. Yeah, yeah. So we definitely got an album signed with Ollie on it and, and McCarvey, and uh, we've also got the deluxe edition with all the signatures from all the contributors because there. Because so- there's not going to be any more signings of of anything. So no, that, that's no, it. No, that's yeah, not. so sadly we've got to do that. Okay, that's that. Okay, I have got a few other things to say, actually, before we go on to the show. Can I just tell yep. this? Because... I put um, a post out um, of a picture of um, the suit that Michael wore at the MTV Awards back in 1988. And I asked for if you can find the date and the occasion. And I says, and I will read out the first five winners. There was a girl called Fiona Sutton within seconds. So I've sent her a present off as well. So she's got a lovely gift going. But I just got to read out these names quickly, okay? So we've got Megan, Rachel, Rhonda, Glenn, um, Catherine, Paul, Fiona, Eljandro, Eldrondo, Flavio, Flavio, Jean, and Julia. And um, later on in the show, I'll read out the guys from the Instagram. Behind your right shoulder, are those Michael's pants you've actually secured uh, uh, at home there? Have you actually seconded the pants on the special? No. Is that in Michael's box? Look over here. <laughs> oh, oh, <laughs> she's got, the, she's got the, uh, the silver shirt. Okay. Is that the Suicide Blonde? Uh, yeah, that's yeah. the one. Had, is that the one? The one. B's been hiding this in her like, okay, she's just showing me she's got Michael's Suicide Blonde silver uh, shirt slash top mm-hmm. worn in the film. Now, that must have come via, is it Chris Cafaro? Is that right? No. Nick Egan gave me that. Nick Egan was doing the photo shoot and he had two shirts. Michael wore that particular one that you've just seen and the other one um, was a, a, a one in a box and Michael took that and had other photos taken with that. So Michael's possession one is with somebody else, but I've got the one from the photo shoot. Let's straighten up. Let's welcome all of our lovely patrons aboard uh, to the podcast. These are the meat and potatoes that make this thing tick. So uh, over to you. I'd like to say hello to everybody outside on the highway. Let's all say hello to everybody outside. It's about 10,000 people at least. Hello. Hello to our honorary members, Tim Ferris, Nick Egan, Mark Opitz, Richard Simpkin, Cameron Adams, Mary Woods, Darren Jones, Paul Jolie, and to our patrons, Carmen, Laurie, Carrie-Anne, Danielle, Sarah Markham, Sarah Camia, Dr. Jim, Katie, Lisa Mack, Anne-Marie, 
Susan P, Susan B, Foxy, Pedro, Mandy, Lisa, Amanda H. Happy birthday, honey. Amanda V, David, Tracy, Paul, Ella, Ryder, Tony, Erica, Abigail, Martin, Val, Jim, Kelly, Jackie, Sheila, Shannon, Helen, Brett, Suzanne, Laurel, Bard, Genevieve, Shelby, Manny, Laurie, Jill, Laos, Heidi, Paula, Lisa, Angie, Nancy, Juliet, Scott, Anthea, Maria, Tracy, Vernon, Jamie, Diana, Stefan, Andrew, Georgie, Stephen, Keisha, Mark, Vernon, Lachlan, Mandy Jane, Rachel, Nick, Sula, Amy, Diane, Paul P, Paul B, Elisa and Jay. And our special mentions are to Sue D, Joe Robbins, John A. Vink, Michael Spriggs, Skellen Davis and Paul Zbuzzi. Welcome to the podcast. Right, B. Well, we're very, very lucky today because we've got a guest who uh, reached out to us, which is always nice because we often do most of the reaching out to them. But this particular gentleman uh, was very, very big in the Melbourne uh, and Victorian music scene back in the 80s and 90s. And he reached out to us having come across our podcast and uh, ironically good friends with uh, Nui Takawa. Uh, but he'll be coming on today, a gentleman called Paulie Stewart who uh, was uh, one of the vocalists and songwriters and artists uh, that performed with the Painters and Dockers back in the 80s and 90s, and even now is still going strong with what they do. And uh, a really interesting story to tell about his interactions with Michael and uh, in excess. So looking forward to that chat, B. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be fun. What's the time for? And now it's time for Topic of the Week. Hey, this is Tim Farris. Big shout out to Hayden and B. Also want to say hello to all the listeners and NXS fans. Thanks for listening. I love you, Hayden and B. You're doing a great job. Keep it up. Folks, it's Paulie Stewart from the Painters and Dockers, and I urge you, encourage you, and implore you to listen to In Excess Access, all areas. Well, welcome to In Excess Access, all areas. Paulie Stewart, all the way from... Elwood today, which is only not far from me here in Parkdale Men's Home, famously from the Painters and Dockers. Also, uh, you know, got a fantastic story to tell about connection with Michael. Like we like to do with all our guests is we'd love to give a bit of a background and just highlight, you know, uh, particularly in your case, Paulie, uh, the significance you had to the uh, the Melbourne music scene. And I know as a guy who is uh, just turned over the 50, uh, into the 50s, I do know as a sort of 16, 17-year-old, your, your music was... Uh, that point in my life where I was like, oh, music can be a bit subversive and a little bit, uh, you know, really against the grain of just the bubblegum pop. So um, welcome, welcome to our podcast. Yeah, thanks very much for having me. And I'm glad it had that effect on you. That was always what we set out to do. It was uh, great just sort of going back to a bit of research and things and it sort of reminded me through, I guess, a, a more innocent time when we didn't have the internet where 
things like Hey Hey It's Saturday and, you know, uh, Countdown and Sounds and certain sort of shows where I'd see you pop up on occasionally. Oh, it was fantastic, you know, and, you know, unlike, you know, these shows like The Voice or, you know, Australian Idol, you didn't have to, you know, dress like they wanted you to or look like they wanted you to. You can sort of still be an individual and you got to, you got to thank people like Molly for that because... You know, we were rough as, but he said, no, I'm going to come on Countdown, guys. And we went, oh, wow. You know, having grown up with my four brothers and sisters every Sunday night sitting down with a toasted sausage sandwich to watch uh, Countdown, but it was like, wow, I, that was a big, big, big occasion, I must admit. Yeah. Now, B, B had the equivalent. Uh, you had the top of the pops. Was that on a Thursday, B, or was that on a weekend? Well, I want to say hello, first of all, to Paulie. Um, yes, Hello. Been. Thank you for finding us. Um, yes, Top of the Pops was every Thursday night. Yeah, yeah. Back in the 70s, I would have been watching that from probably with a sausage sandwich. Um, okay. <laughs> Paulie, uh, I guess, uh, was part of a you know, very, very famous sort of Melbourne scene. And we, a couple of weeks ago, interviewed somebody from Hunters and Collectors. That was Greg Pirano, who was good friends with Michael. And I know, um, I think you had, uh, might have been some production uh, support from one of the Hunters members, I think, on one of your early uh, recordings. Is that right? Well, the, the Hunters were, were really sort of involved with this. In fact, they used to nickname themselves the Painters and Dockers, you know, and I, oh. I actually, yeah. <laughs> Seymour was a bit pissed off when we came out and we were actually a band called the Painters and Dockers. But their guitarist, Barry Palmer, taught our guitarist how to play guitar. Uh, their bass player, John Archer, we used his sound system all the time. And and Jack Howard, their trumpet player, was in the Dockers. So he played with us. So there was a very, very close connection. Crossover. Yeah, and still to this day, people go, what band were you in again, mate? I know you. And I go, oh, the Painters and Dockers. And he goes, oh, I love that song, Throw Your Arms Around Me. And I'm going, mate, that was- <laughs> I think you've got one of the great names, Um uh, I, I know Port Melbourne was uh, uh, an area where, you know, you were formative in those days. Was that a link to the painters and dockers down there? And, and for our international listeners, uh, what is a painter and docker, just to actually help educate our listeners? And me. Yeah, well, well, the painters and dockers were the dockside workers. They'd come out of prison, literally, and the only place they could get a job was down on the docks. It's pretty sort of rough, heavy sort of territory. And before the... Uh, you know, the bikies and the uh, drug gangs kicked in. The real sort of, uh, you know, underbelly of Melbourne were the painters and dockers, you know, like for every five fridges delivered to Melbourne, four made it to shore and one went to a painter. And <laughs> a- <laughs> so we, we were going we to play for one night only at this pub in Port Melbourne to pay a friend's parking fines. And that was 40 years ago. We were going to play one night only and we, we, we asked these, the, the guy running the gig, oh, what's the story? And he said, oh, it's actually at the pub where the painters of Dockers drink. And we said, oh, well, we'll call ourselves the painters of Dockers. It's only going to be for a night. Now, now people don't believe this story, and international listeners, you've got to go, this guy's full of it and crazy, but this is a true story. We started playing, and the guy who lived next door to the pub hated it so much, he jumped the fence with an axe and started chopping chopping up the mixing desk. Someone called the police and all the kids were freaking out and the police came. Now, the painters and dockers at their pub had one rule. You could do lines of coke along the bar, you could be naked, you could do anything you like, but, but the police weren't allowed into the premises. So they rocked up and an all-in brawl started between 
the police, the warfies, and it all just went absolutely crazy. And I was on stage with my microphone looking at this going, I want to do this for the rest of my life. Uh, you know, you got a thrill from it. Fun, you yeah, know. No. Gotcha. Yes, I love this, you know. Oh, right. right. So the police, the mafia. <laughs> it was all the yeah. yeah. You got any photos from that night? Uh, I think there's a bit of footage, but every year we still do a gig for the Maritime Workers Union. Yeah. They, they actually ring me and go, oh, Paulie, there's a gig uh, happening on Saturday, you know, July 17th at this pub. You guys are playing there. And I go, look, I'll just ring the other guys and check it. He goes, sorry, you didn't hear me. You were playing a gig at that. And I go, yes, <laughs> but, uh, we will be there. No problems, guys. You know. <laughs> so we've done and lots of what year of was that? What year did you start? Uh, that was 1983, would you believe? Wow. And we're just, um, I've just come from Hobart because we've just finished doing our 40th anniversary national tour. Jeez. And uh, I don't I don't know how many more of those I've got left in me because I'm <laughs> getting a bit long in the tooth and it takes me about all day. For 40 years you've been doing a tour every year? Uh, well, we've been playing for 40 years and that's sort of all over Australia and North America and Canada and uh, actually up in East Timor and all over the place. So, yeah. Oh, good. Wow, we, wow. I never thought we'd get from, no, I wasn't even into music, you know. And he <laughs> said, come on, let's sing one song, Paulie, and that was it. <laughs> so but how many members are there in the band? Currently there's seven. Uh, we've lost the original bass player died of Crohn's disease and uh, and one of the guitarists had to retire because he got bad tin ears. And the drummer, um, Colin, he went through the bushfires, you know, um, about 10 years ago and never sort of really got over that, you know. And uh, so it's a seven-piece. We've got two girls in the band now, a trombonist, Sonia, who oh, yeah. her previous experience to joining us was in the Salvation Army Youth Band, so that's a bit of a change. And uh, <laughs> and, uh, and we've got young Dali, who's um, a young... Uh, bass player and she's fantastic so we push her up the front and I say put the spots on her I'll put <laughs> in the back you know <laughs> I think this is pretty cool. And I'd like to read out some of the songs that uh, the Pains and Doctors titled. are very well known for. <laughs> yeah. because, well, well, some of these resonate with me because I remember the time and I remember there were some of them were catchphrases in our class at, at yeah, school. Yeah. And, um, because when you hit 16, 17, 18, you, you, you do like to sometimes go from your mainstream bands and some things are a bit quirky. And uh, anyway, so I'm going to read some of these out. One of them's called Bassia, which I believe is after, named after the famous uh, Juno. I think she might have passed away, the music Juno. Yeah, that's it, Bazia Bronkowski, and she was Motley Cogdall. Yeah, used yeah. to host a, a music show. And then I think this could have, been, could have been a cover. Bend Me, Shake Me. Yeah, that was a cover. Yeah. <laughs> New School. Now, this is one of the most famous songs. <laughs> I've sent this to you three times in the last couple of weeks. We're all going to New School. <laughs> yeah. Okay, what a great line. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, charted in the top 40. I think that was really a breakthrough moment for the band, wasn't it? Yeah, it definitely was. But what, what really 
sort of set it apart was, you know, we were signed to Mushroom Records and we put out this song, Nerd School, and Michael Grinsky said, oh, do a film clip on a yacht with all these bottles. And we went, nah, Duran Duran have done that. We're going to do it <laughs> naked at a pig farm with all the instruments just strategically placed so you can't see any of this. And we just thought it was a piss take and we thought, oh, we'll just do that. But what happened at the same time was MTV Australia was just starting for the first time ever and they wanted a clip that was just going to freak people out. <laughs> so for the first three episodes of MTV in Australia, it was us doing this nude school song and that was that was like 35 years ago and yet last Saturday night in Hobart, when we got to Hobart, there were... Um, you know, people in pig's masks and people just get up naked on stage and dance. So you've got a real <laughs> cult following, really, then. Oh, man, at our, at our shows, anything oh, goes. I want to go. You know? I want to go now. Yeah. When's the next yeah. one? Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, well, soon, soon, I hope. Excellent. Yeah. The thing that can't be underestimated with this song, mm. B, uh, and, and for yourself, Paulie, yeah. is it's got a great hook. It's, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a classic pop song with a subversive element, you know what I mean? Yeah. Lyrical yeah. element. It's fantastic. <laughs> The next one that hit top 50 was Die Yuppie Die. And I just remember the guy who sat next to me in year 12 who used to say it all the time, every day, Die Yuppie Die. Yeah, uh, well, we did that. At a, we shot a film clip for that at a dentist and they refused to play it, MTV. And we said, how come? You know, you, you had a snake in with pigs. And they said, Ollie, can't ever run a film clip with dentists in it because people hate the dentist that much if they turn off the telly. And so never do that. But the, die, <laughs> die, the clip before that, we did this, and this is a true story. All of this stuff is true, but no one believes me. But we did the film clip outside the Melbourne Stock Exchange. I saw it, yeah. And, <laughs> yeah, and the day we did it, the, there was a worldwide financial collapse. So in Time magazine, there was actually this article that said, oh, the financial collapse was started when this punk oh, band in Melbourne that paid it. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting blind for everything, you know. <laughs> it's got all. Hey, we won't call it Wall Street. We'll call it Paul yeah, Street. Yeah. That's it. I bet a lot yeah, of people that's... don't know what a yuppie actually is because it was coined in the eighties, wasn't young it? Young urban professional. Something like that. Yeah, young urban professional. Yeah, yeah basically. So after that, yeah. we had a song "Safe Sex," which uh, I've got to. I've got to say that probably. You know, the band, you know, seemed to be sort of uh, quite community-focused and socially aware, and I think that was quite a good message around that time, yeah. around sort of particularly with the AIDS yeah. epidemic at the time and the sure. big 88, you know. Uh, dirty, filthy rock and roll. Uh, eat shit, die. <laughs> okay. see that on a T-shirt. New uh, World Order. Uh, again, remember, 19, uh, sort of 91, so a pretty – that phrase at the time. Uh, I know better queens than that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's uh, give it a go with the Flybeers. Uh, am I pronouncing that right? Yeah, Flybeers. They're, they're a couple of young uh, African hip hoppers that jumped up and joined us on stage. We've had, right, <laughs> had the tube player from the Tasmanian Symphony Orchestra. We've had Bruce Springsteen's violin player. We've had Nicky Winmar, the footballer, get up on stage yes. with us. We've had um, Darren Hinch. Would you believe even Judith Dora from The Seekers ended up on stage <laughs> next to me one night? And I can remember looking at her and I was just sitting, calling, this is bullshit. You can't sing. You're on stage with this legend. Holiday on Ice, which was something not that long ago you put out, probably about five, six years ago, I think, yeah? Yeah, that's it. And, well, 
you know, I don't know if you've ever, if you walk around the middle of Melbourne at the moment, but everyone's on ice and going crazy. Yeah. We just wrote a song saying, you know, how we hate, hate that. Yeah. yeah. It's very yeah. sad. Yeah. If I can take you back, you know, to, you know, the, you know, the eighties there, uh, an interesting sort of time there. Yeah, and obviously, you know, we're an in excess sort of podcast, but we do like to delve into the band and friendships and relationships and we have detoured into different things. You would have had someone like, you know, in excess at the time with Michael around 87, 88, really at their sort of uh, international sort of uh, zenith where they'd really taken off globally. Yeah. Um, yet, and, and you would know this too, the, the music scene in Australia was sort of, you had your alternative scene, you had your mainstream scene, you had your pub bands, you had a few little segments there. Sometimes the alternative guys would give it to the, the guys on the bigger labels and things. Yeah. Uh, how did you cross paths with sort of Michael initially and did you have a an impression before you meet, met him and then an impression post-meeting him? Well, I, I'd seen the band on Countdown and he says, and I thought, wow, and he was such a great frontman rock god kind of guy, you, you know, and... But then we oh, we did a show in about 1984 or 85 at this tiny little pub called Macy's, and and we we played and then afterwards this guy came into the band room and he had his hair all over his face, and he was with this girl. I think her name was Michelle, who was a friend of one of the painters and dockers, you know. And she said, "Oh, da, 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 oh and this is Michael from Inexcess," and we went, "Oh, g'day, how are you?" And he was a very shy kind of guy, you know, he did, he wasn't loud or brat, you know, he was very self-contained and on his own. And um, I can remember thinking, wow, you know, that the difference, you know, to see him on stage in all his glory to off stage was, was remarkable. But uh, later sort of saw them over the years, different sort of places, you know, and events and stuff like that. But then it, it takes a turn here because I've got a personal involvement with the, the country of uh, Timor-Leste. My, my brother, there were five Australian, uh, five journalists killed up there in 1975 when the Indonesians invaded. And um, the youngest one of them was my oldest brother, Tony. So I got involved with the East Timorese independence movement, which in the early days, no one supported. I mean, you've got this tiny little ex-Portuguese colony above Australia full of Roman Catholics surrounded by the biggest Muslim nation in the world. So no one thought the country would ever get their independence. Right. And yet there's a small group of people who started pushing for it all the time, including Michael Hutchins. And no one sort of knows that about him, but like... He was the one who insisted in Dogs in Space, the movie that he was in, that in the kitchen there's a Free East Timor poster in the background that you see. And we, we got involved with doing a benefit album to raise money for some of the uh, war widows up in Timor. And Michael Hutchins heard about it. And what happened was we were launching the album in, in Sydney, but we couldn't get there. We didn't have any money, the Dockers, and we were like, oh, you know, what a shame. We could have really launched it off with a bang. And then we got a call from someone saying, look, Michael's heard that you guys can't get there, and he paid for all our tickets. Oh, bless him. And never, never, but as long as we didn't tell anybody, you know, you didn't want any sort of mention about it. So we went up and launched this album, which was incredible, and raised money for these veterans. And then later... Um, and this is all true. It sounds all so far-fetched. But later I was sneaking into East Timor, which was occupied by the Indonesians with all these other activists, and we got arrested at the airport in Dili when we got off the plane. 
And this Irish guy said to me, oh, you know, you know, it's a shame we didn't get in. Oh, this this Irish guy has written a, a poem for Timor. Here, Paulie, use it to help promote the cause. And I went, oh, great, some drunken paddies written something on a bar coaster. And I get this this letter and I read it and it's this amazing poem, da 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 love Bono. And I went, yeah, I think we can use that, you know. So I got this Irish senator guy to read it, read it out to me. And I brought it back to Australia and we put some techno music behind it. And then we released it as Bono's single for East Timor, which I thought was very clever until the night before the, the single release when I got all these letters from this New York law firm saying, if this comes out in any shape, form or manner with Bono's name on it, we're going to sue your ass big time. Right. And I went, right. oh, my God, I'm in so much trouble. And I had to... Ended up having to ring YouTube's office going, look, I'm just this little activist in Australia. We're going to sell about a thousand copies. Like, and then eventually they sort of said, okay, put it out. But then when YouTube came to Melbourne, Bono said, I want to meet that guy who put that thing out. So I went into YouTube's concert at Waverley Park, team with a couple of Team Marie's people. And Bono walked in and as soon as he saw me, he said, Mate, just shut up. I don't want to hear about his team more. I'm sick of hearing about it. Michael Hutchins never stops stops raving about it. Will you just give me a break? And I hadn't said a thing, and I went, oh, okay, you know. And um, he was with Chris, Christine Helenison, is that yeah. her name? You know, the uh, Helena Christensen, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and she said, um, oh, yeah, Michael's always going on about that. So you were at the uh, the Waverley one. I, I look for, you know a bit of self indulgence. Yeah. I was at that concert as well. I think in '98, and at the end of the concert there, they had a bit of a tribute to Michael yes. up on the screen there. Yes, which uh, which was great. So I guess from the timelines point of view. Um, that was 98, but obviously Michael had helped out some what, maybe 10 years earlier. Was it was it 88 when you did that tribute gig or was it later? What were the timelines? Uh, this would have been mid-90s. It was a bit later oh, okay. than that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Timor didn't get its freedom till like 1999. Nine, yeah. 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 And and we actually went up and played the peacekeeping concert for all the troops. And that's where I met Kylie. And I went, oh, hi, Kylie. You know, you don't know me from a bar of soap, but your old boyfriend – you know, was really big into East, and she said, oh, and when she heard about that, she ended up giving me uh, free tickets for the Timorese and free T-shirts for the Timorese who had nothing because they're all refugees. So listen, now, folks, it gets really far-fetched because later I heard, and you can look this up online, but they reckon that Michael's death was caused by, you know, the CIA, because the CIA wanted, they wanted to shut him down from promoting a free and independent East Timor. And there were the, all these conspiracy theories that he was yeah. taken out because of his political beliefs. Yeah. No, it's interesting. The, um, if I could explore, you know, just a little bit of your brother. I mean, yeah. um, I know it's probably, you know, those things that 
you can never really recover from. But he was only 21 and he was a sound recordist. Is that right? That's right, yeah. And, and was he was a little bit older than yourself, I, I assume? Oh, mate, I, I was 15. That'd be heartbreaking. Yeah, so, so it really happened at that age where turning point of my life, really, you know, that's, yeah. that's why punk rock was so great because I was this young, angry guy because, you know, they snatched my brother away and um, uh, I didn't know uh, how to react, you know, and I was really upset about it. My mum never got over it. The the one call my mother ever got from the government about my brother's death was um, an official from the embassy in Jakarta saying, where do we send the bill for the coffin? That was the only call she ever got. Now, nowadays, if, you know, something happens to a strain overseas, they fly the family to Darwin. Yeah. The ministers yeah. are all there. You know, we, we, we didn't get anything. We got jack shit, you oh, know. I'm yeah. so sorry to hear that. And I think also, too, our Prime Minister in 2007, you know, Kevin Rudd, you know, paid some lip service to it, but it didn't really eventuate into an opening of the case. I don't think it's ever been – people have ever been brought to uh, Just account this. for those actions, really, have they? Well, they know, they know who, who was sort of responsible, but – they don't want to offend the Indonesians. Yeah. Now, on a practical level, I could understand that because, you know, there's 260 million Indonesians, you know, so there's a few of them. We, we know that uh, story, yeah. you know, of, often referred to as the sort of, uh, is it the Balabo Five there? That's it, yeah. Uh, it was made into a, a movie and it was certain, there's a, a young American actor at the time, Oscar Isaacs, was in the movie who's gone on to big things. So I think Anthony LaPaglia was in the movie. And the movie was produced by Miley Cyrus's new father-in-law, who's just married Miley's mother, oh, guy, called Dominic, yeah. guy called Dominic Purcell, who was in Prison but, Break, an Australian actor. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. But I think it was a gentleman called Mark Winter portrayed your brother. I mean, it must have been um, quite, um, I guess, on one level inspiring to know this story has been told and it has had it got to celluloid. And it was a very important Australian movie around 2009 when it came out. How did that make you feel? Did it make you so proud that this is something that hasn't been forgotten? Um, well, well, I really appreciated the director, Rob Conley. What he did was went and spent a lot of time with my mum and got her side of the story and she never got it off her chest or explained it. So that was fantastic. And Mark Winter came and um, hung out with all, all my brothers and sisters and me to get a feeling for my brother. But what happened when my brother died was they gave me a pair of the, his Doc Martens, these red Doc Martens, and, you know, I tried them on and they're just too, just just a size too little for me, you know. And three times I swear I'd put them out in the rubbish going, oh, look, I don't, you know, they're no good. And I'd go, no, no, I can't do that. And I'd go and no. get him back in. So when I went Mark, Mark Winter, I said, oh, what size shoe are you? And I went and gave him the boots and they were the, the perfect fit. So in the movie, he's actually walking around. Wearing your boots. Brothers. Yeah. Oh, so, um, that was pretty crazy. But, um, you know, unfortunately people, you know, say, what did you think of the film? But, you know, as far as my family is concerned, you know, we know the ending. So it's, not, you know, yeah. not a happy film. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. You know legacy-wise, without being twee or whatever, it's great that, there are movies and that, you know, we're sitting here in 2023 on a podcast discussing it and, you know, it means yeah. that everybody there, because I think the three of them were Australian. I think the other two might have been from overseas, weren't they? Might have been a Dutch or an English journo there at the time. Hey, Woody and an English guy. Yeah. 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 I mean, uh, this this is a story that just growing up resonated as a, as a child growing up in Australia and hearing it every so often. And particularly the ABC, they, you know, a bit like the BBC in the UK, they – 
they were quite spearheading in this story because it was really also a, an attack on journalism too, outside the human, human factor. I mean, it was an attack on journalism and the truth because essentially they were in the town of Balabo, weren't they, in this sort of village of which was an East Timorese village and the Indonesians came in and um, they were just doing their job. And then I think, was it a, a gentleman uh, went over there, was it George East, I think, went over there to, to Rod- investigate Rod- afterwards? Roger so East, yeah. Roger yeah. East, sorry, yeah. yeah. He went over there after, so that he, he ended up passing, he ended up getting murdered, I think, over there too, didn't he? As, as well, yeah, because the Indonesians were saying, oh, no, we're not invading, we're just uh, restoring peace. But yeah. all these Junos were capturing the tanks and the soldiers all marching in and they... They had the evidence, so they had to be taken out. And um, unfortunately, the Indonesians didn't have much respect for you know journalism or foreigners, and just shot them. You know, or we actually don't know how they died. That's the thing. And the only way the issue was kept in the Australian media was by referring to how they died. So I've heard you know ten, twenty different ways of how they were killed. You know, wrapped in barbed wire and. Or petrol poured over them, set on fire, and so yeah. Look, it's it's been uh, it's been a trip, I tell you. I think one of the things that um, for any of our listeners who probably are under forty years of age, you know, that generation probably had their own challenges and world events. But if we were to go back to the eighties, and I know this applies even in the UK, B, you know, you had things like the poll tax, and then you had you know obviously the the Argentinian Falklands War with England, you know, going in, and then. You know, we had the threat of nuclear uh, activity with the Star Wars programs, which ripped the guns in the sky, ironically, is an in excess song is about that. And that you had Sting singing about the Russians and you, you had uh, towards the end of the 80s, early 90s, we had the Kuwait war. And But the nuclear one, you know, that nuclear disarmament and, and also, you know, those type of sort of issues were very paramount growing up, you know, in the 80s. Yeah, I know in excess, you know, they did, I think that gig, which was a drop the bomb, you know, whatever, uh, avoid the dropping the bomb gig at City Mile. I've probably got the name wrong. Someone will correct me. And in excess of that. And we not all were a little bit more literal in their politics, but I think as you have summed up, you don't always have to be as loud to be as effective and as altruistic um, in your political uh, bent, do you? Yeah, you know, yeah. Paulie? Well, he, he certainly did a lot for his Timor. And I must admit, when he died and all the headlines were, you know, sex drug addict gone wrong, I attempted, you know, to contact media people to say, no, no, there was this other side to that guy as well. He was a political activist, you know. You, you, why aren't you writing about that, you know? And yeah, thankfully a little bit's come out about this and I really appreciate you giving me the time to explain this to people, that he, that he was sort of committed to this cause that no one supported when we needed people and he was there. Even in his death, you know, he uh, he gave away a lot of his money, a big, big share of his money to um, Greenpeace and Amnesty International as well, didn't he? Yeah. The thing that I want to also highlight that we'll send a link to on our on our platforms is that uh, about a week or two B before the miniseries came out in 2014, Paulie coined a very lovely uh, article in the Herald Sun. Now, I don't know whether that was via Newey or whoever else at the time. Could have been. But uh, there is a great article that I sent to B today, plugged in Michael Hutchins' East Team or whatever, then your article came up. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, and and I think it's about February the 5th, 2014. We'll send a link to our platform. But uh, some of the points you made today are echoed in that article. But I, I do like the fact that, 
you know, you took the effort to not have the world pigeonholed and stereotype somebody based on an image or a perception, and and that is that everyone's a bit more nuanced and has yeah, a bit more depth to them than always given. And that article, I think, shares that sentiment about Michael being uh, quite political in his ways and his thinking. Yeah, I, I really did like the way he was sort of uh, talked about after he died. You know, particularly. I'll be honest, you know, by Bob Gownoff, I thought, you know, said some pretty nasty things at the time. Maybe if someone run off with my wife, I would have said the same thing as well. But, um, you know, being a junkie for Lanford, you know. Neo junkie or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. You know, sort of, I thought that was a bit mean, but um, it's something I always talk about. I mean, you met Michael, but did you ever ever meet any of the other band members? I think I've, I've met him sort of at different sort of you know countdown backstage parties and had a bit bit of bit of a reaction with them, but not not like Michael, not where they actually came you know into the band room and, and hung out with us a bit. I think Michael was very into sort of alternate music yeah. as well, you know. He- he was open to listening to what was coming new, up new as well, wasn't he? Other yeah. guys might have found us a bit offensive, but he he was okay with it, you know. <laughs> but, um, you know, I did see him many times and, wow, they were awesome band, you know, and great songs and, you know, unbelievable songs. In fact, we were lucky enough to um, support the Loved Ones, who were a classic Australian oh. band. Yeah. That was something very early in the piece. When they covered that, I went, "Oh, this band's, you know, they know they know what they where they're coming from, you know." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we had who did we have on Michael Browning, didn't we? Yes. And he um, he said to, to um, in excess that they should play that song first. No, That's no. right, wasn't it, Aiden? Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. Uh, uh, Michael Browning, who discovered them, and also ACDC uh, and Noiseworks. Uh, he was involved with their first two albums on the deluxe label and between first and second album, he thought, well, maybe it's time to put a cover out which that had a top 40 hit with Just Keep Walking. He thought, yeah. well, maybe in between albums and touring, let's have a little filler. A bit like the old Beatles used to do, they had a lot of you know singles between albums. Yeah, yeah. And the love one came up, of which you know Michael, I think, always liked uh, Jerry Humphreys, you know, oh. who had a bit of a similar sort of laconic uh, frontman presence, you know. Great band. We were... Uh- We've supported lots of bands, but they were the best one I reckon we supported. They were so much fun, yeah. yeah. And you said that you met Michael Gadinsky and you had a touch with Mushroom. Are you going to go and or did you go to see Ego yet? I haven't because it was at the Melbourne Film Festival the same night we played in Hobart. I was actually talking to my good friend, Newey Decoa from the Herald Sun that uh, I think you guys have spoken to before. And um, he said... You know, it was a good movie, you know, and it was it, it betrayed him in a good light. And we both agreed, you and I, whatever you say about Michael Gabinski, he was a musical enthusiast, you know. And um, according to our old manager, Lobby Lloyd, you know, and you two would fit into this category, but with Lobby Lloyd, there were two kinds of people in this world, right? You, you could be gay, black, yellow, Muslim, Christian, Collingwood supporter. That didn't matter. <laughs> you were a musical enthusiast or you weren't, you know. And if you True. weren't, he, he just wouldn't talk to you, you know. like. <laughs> and seriously, he just would just, yeah, you know. No time for you. 
at yes. all, you know. But and then, but if you were a musical enthusiast, take two days off because he would sit down and bam, you know, yeah, overwhelmed with with you know stuff. Yeah. Now, did the doctors yourself cross paths with uh, Richard Lowenstein at all? I, I know Richard, of course, and um, and and actually, he sort of um, when I wrote that Michael story with it about the Timor connection, he's always reprinted it and forwarded it on to people. So um, yeah, and uh, my partner's a filmmaker, and she knows him, but um, never sort of met him in the day as part of that scene. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, the reason I mentioned is I guess I, I thought there might have been just uh, possibly some uh, some crossover there, but um, I think the documentary, yeah, along with articles like yourself, I think every little snippet is just equally as important to you know capture the accuracy of people. Um, I think when Michael passed in 97, it was sort of pre-internet, early days internet, and it was just that commencement of a lot of scuttlebug. And um, I think nowadays, you know, through documentaries like Richard and through articles like yourself yeah. and hopefully podcasts like us, we, yeah. we've we tried to, our goals, a mission statement B, uh, I guess, is to, you know, go back in time, chat to people who were there and who have a factual account of things and correct some ills that have permeated the uh, the world rumor mill. You're both Magic Fest fans, of course, are you? Yeah, that, that's a backup. That's a bonus. <laughs> um, yeah. But, but, you know, yeah, seriously, it's sometimes articles like yourself and commentary like yourself and then we've interviewed, we've been very lucky. We've had Richard Clapton on the show and Nick Lornay and we've had um, the band themselves on and we've had producers on from various albums and things. And when you spend time with people, I think, you know, Australians particularly and probably the British too, we have a good sort of dickhead monitor. We can pick a bit of bullshit from each other That's and I think... Shit. I think Greg the other week, Pirano. Uh, hey, why is he a dickhead? Let me finish my sentence. Oh, Let me finish my sentence. Yeah. Greg was highlighting the fact that, uh, you know, Michael had met, he told a great little anecdote about a, a punk band called Chard Remains. Right. <laughs> uh, you, you made a Sydney band that uh, the lead singer couldn't stand Michael, but met Michael one night and by the end of the night they're outside sharing, you know, Cigarettes and yeah, beer, and yeah. you know, he became Michael's almost uh, bodyguard after that. Yeah, that'd be right. So, because I think Michael was bigger than Char- life. Oh, he was. Yes. And in those, you know, in the punk scene, you know, everyone hated pop stars, or you know, yeah. you weren't supposed to be a pop star, you know. No. So he had to handle that, you know. And sometimes you don't have a you don't have a say in it. Like being chosen in Dogs in Space, the movie about the Melbourne punk scene, like. You know, there would have been a lot of people with a lot of knives out to rip him down because they were yeah. going to have been the him. It's funny that you should mention um, Dogs in Space again and with the East Timor because it's tied up with last week we had Ollie Olsen um, interviewed by Jane I Gazzo. I don't know if you know I, either I do of those. Jane. Yeah, yeah. You know Jane, I, I yeah. I know and, through, yeah. Of course you know Ollie and we're trying to um, – Raise some funds for Ollie, and uh, as we speak, we've an auction going, and we're auctioning off a um, signed, well, autographed um, album of Rooms for the Memory, which was one of the title tracks from the movie. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, because Ollie's not well. I don't no, know if you uh, know that. Yeah, yeah. I met um, Adelita the other night at Rockwiz, and I think she sings the song, doesn't she? Um, she does. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Tell us about Rock Quiz. Were you on one of the shows? Were you? Oh, or? no, no. We're, 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 
too politically incorrect, but we were a few questions in the show, so Brian said, I'll come along and we ask a few questions about you. And I said, oh, yeah. can I come on? No. <laughs> why, why not? Because you'll bring a pig set and be naked. Yeah. <laughs> said, what's, what's wrong with that, you know? Starting, start another economic um, downfall. Yeah, doesn't everybody? <laughs> One might correct thinking that also you donned a sort of an Elvis Costello type of uh, glasses at the time when you were singing. Uh, that could have been Chris, the other singer. Might have been Chris, very, the other singer. Okay. It was very Elvis Costello, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, and, and, and in fact, he was very good friends with Michelle, who was a friend of Michael Hutchins, a very good friend of Michael's. Michelle Bennett, yeah. We found out that Michelle Bennett was actually really good friends with um, Greg Pirano as well from Hunters and Collectors before Michael. So she she, uh, she knew a few people. Yeah, it was very good friends. And it was a pretty small scene, you notice? So, um, yeah, everyone knew mm, each free other. Free love. Yeah, 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 everyone knew each other. Now, Paulie, what we, we like to also support Australian music. We're very proud of our Australian music sort of scene. Um uh, as you would probably know, probably from the 70s and 80s and 90s, it was a pretty vibrant scene with bands playing every night of the week in various uh, venues and things. Yeah. Um, is there uh, – I know you guys, I think you probably had a little bit of a hiatus then got back together. Uh, is there anything we can plug with any upcoming tours, oh, any mate, merchandise, anything we can do? Is, would you believe I've just um, – I've re- just put out a book, would you believe? Um, yeah. Because COVID, I was just – sitting around and my sister said we're sick of hearing these stories write them all down so and it's all about sort of well michael it's all a lot of what we've talked about tonight and uh most significantly how you know walking home from school when i was 15 and seeing the newspaper banner you know five journalists missing in timor was you know turned my life around you know because i can remember thinking where's these timor and then you know, I realised it was my brother and I thought, oh, in a couple of days' time, no one will ever, you know, know what we, what I'm talking about. And yet 40 years later, you know, I talk about it most days still. I go into schools and talk about East Timor. I've been to East Timor 30 times now and um, work a lot with, uh, uh, would you believe, a little group of nuns up there who look after disabled and uh, abandoned kids and... So I've gone from hanging out with Nick Cave and Billy Idol to hanging out with these nuns. And you know what? The nuns are more full on, I tell you. I bet. <laughs> I got bloody six- 4.30. I'm going, go back to bed. Holy, <laughs> <laughs> it's branch time. Fuck that. Oh, great. Well, where, how can we find this book? Because we do have a website and on uh, our website, we do have a page where we have links to people's books. Cool. So well, we'd love to put a link in there for fantastic. you. Fantastic. Do you want me to send? I'll send you one if you like. Yeah, send it all to me. Um, okay. I can't say that I'm going to get it done quickly. No, 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 busy, no, no, but I'll get it done as quickly as I can. Yeah, look, I'll send two. I'll send one each, okay? Just, yeah, oh, right. oh, I meant the link, but yeah, thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. We, we, we can, sign uh, it. We yes. can plug. We, I mean, 
we've had some examples, I think, with Clemo and then Richard Lowenstein's book and a couple others. We've done been able to bag them up and send them overseas for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, our patrons in particular. Marco you know, Pitts as well as yep. giving us a yeah. look before now. Yeah. Um, the other thing I'd like to just sort of highlight too is that uh, we have different sort of uh, acknowledgements for bands in Australia. We have things like the uh, uh, ARIA Hall of Fame, but uh, our state of Victoria, which we think is the best state in Australia, maybe not the best politics, but the best state, uh, Paulie, uh, you guys in the Pays and Doctors, I think 2009, I think from memory, you got inducted into the Victorian uh, Hall of Fame musicians. Must have been a proud moment for you. Well, for, given that the, the award was given to someone who hasn't got a musical to burn in his body. <laughs> oh, you're very, you're very, humble uh, well, not really. I haven't really you know and it's funny because I meet young people all the time who go oh I'd love to be in a band like you but I can't sing and I go mate it's never stopped me don't worry about it singing don't worry about it it's just another type of music isn't it yeah. it's fun and you've been an entertainer and that's what the point is you've got the crowd you've got the fans that's it. who cares if you can sing or not they're going to sing along anyway exactly it's, some of my favourite singers have got bad voices anyway you know Bob Dylan Johnny Rodden or... I, John, yeah, I don't know how Bob Dylan's got so well, far a, good little, <laughs> a, a great little clip the other day Joe Strummer you know back in probably the late 70s was just talking about saying he doesn't see himself as a musician you know he probably is more of a lyricist a word of a movement of an energy and of yeah. a vibe and the music was there to sort of support those other movements and motivations and I think that's where a lot of the music of uh, your era and maybe being I growing up it was a lot more than just the, the words and the and the lyrics and the tunes. It was that energy behind it, that passion and and reason for doing it that was quite pure, you know. And nowadays, it's debatable. I think a lot of songs I hear on the radio, they sound like productions. They don't actually sound like songs. And there, there was a different sort of vibe too because I, I swear half the gigs we have done have been benefit gigs for different causes and organisations because music is such a great platform to get a message across or to get a crowd to something, you know. But nowadays I speak to young bands and go, oh, you, you know, you can, would you do a benefit for the Ukraine? And they go, why? You know, where, whereas where we come from, we we would, yeah. like we have probably done more benefits than pay gigs. We've done so many yeah. benefits over the years because I've always thought it was a great, you know, vehicle for, for change and, you know, meeting people like Bono and Wycall, you know, that only reinforced that for me, you know, that music is a really powerful thing and you can use it yeah. for good, you know, yeah. You're going home in the back of a TV van. You're going home in the back of a TV van. Yeah, we always like to ask our, our guests, you know, if they had to go back and uh, pull out an excess album or song, what would they pull out? What are their top two or three songs that they like or... Uh, knew he gave us his the other week. We won't share uh, his uh, choices other than to say it was a, a unique one compared to some other uh, answers. But music is the ear of the beholder. So uh, what's your favourite NXS track or album or anything that you love? Beautiful Girl I like. I reckon that's a pretty good one. Suicide Blonde I like too. That's a good one. Yeah. Watch the World Argue. What's that? The, yeah. Yeah. Dancing on the Jetty. Dancing on the Jetty. The thing about NXS songs is... They, they don't get old, you know, they, they're still vibrant, I reckon, you know, they're, they're not. That's a good Dockers Dock song, isn't it? Dancing on the Jetty, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is, actually. Yeah. I don't think we've ever played out to that either, have we? No. And any gigs coming up? Obviously, you've just come off a bit of a tour yeah, recently. Anything else? Off the 40th anniversary tour, but folks, hang in there. You will sit in the Dockers 
And if you see us playing, come along and you can do anything you want to, okay? B's already uh, going to get her pig uh, outfit and her nude suit already, <laughs> B. In nude, nude outfit. Good. <laughs> Look out. Look no, out. I, well, I fancy I'll, going, definitely. I'll have to read the book first okay. and then I'll get some more insights. No, I'll de- well, I'll definitely send two copies to Hayden. Can you send me your address, matey? Yeah. I, I, look, I can, I can probably come pick them up or something like that, you know, make it easier because I, I, I'm – Going past Albert every couple of days okay, so I can cool. work out a time, whatever. And look, again, we want to thank you for coming on today. As I said, part of our mission statement is to uh, bring the facts of a time and a place we weren't at by, uh, you know, going through the, uh, you know, the influences and the experience of others. And, you know, I generally thank you for writing that article eight, eight nine years ago, but also sharing that and correcting a few sort of, uh, uh, you know, differences that are out there. And as I said, you know, I love you too, but they probably made a, a career out of causes. Yeah. We're probably straying ways to be supportive of causes, but not necessarily brag about it. Exactly. Yes. yes. And that's probably what Michael did in, in many cases across the board. So, yeah. guys, uh, Paulie Stewart, he's uh, been a, a delight to chat to you today. Thank uh, you so we, much. Thank you for finding thanks us. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Right. Lovely. Yep. Thank you, no Paulie. Worries, no worries. Okay. Bye bye. Bye. Hi, this is Sarah from Sydney. You're listening to In Excess, Access All Areas, and now it's time for the news. All right, Ben, this is my first news section for about five or six weeks, and I must have about a hundred little snippets. So, Hang on a minute, I'm just going to sit back and let you go. Ah, okay, please going to give me the floor. Particularly uh, just chatting to Paulie before, you know, hearing about Michael and his sort of, uh, I guess, social awareness uh, particularly, um, there was a good article that came out in August in the, uh, and it had the top 30 sort of nuclear sort of war songs or anti-war songs and Guns in the Sky came in at number 30. So uh, I know it was a song that Michael was particularly passionate about and wrote it. Also to be uh, throughout August, it was in excess uh, day and almost in excess a month in a way. On the 3rd of August, a uh, great friend of the band, I should say, Tim Peacock, always uh, does his best to uh, write great reviews. Uh, he and the Undercover Music Publication did a great uh, deep dive uh, retrospective into the Welcome to Where We Are album. Also, a gentleman from Discover Music, as opposed to Undercover Music, a gentleman called Paul Sexton, I think in the UK, did also a review sort of 31 years later on Welcome to Where You Are. So I think it was because that was a early August 92 release, B. Often we get these little retrospectives and things. Also, too, on August the 5th, there was quite a unique article, B. I really like this one. It was uh, in a uh, a publication called, uh, let me look down here, iMedia, and under the subheading uh, minmin.news. It was basically a deep dive and the sort of the heading was narrative music slash artist-like performance. And it basically, uh, it was really interesting. I've never seen an NXS article like this, but it was talking about the imagery the band used and the, you know, the, the font and the style of film clips and, and uh, album covers and, and, the, and the clips and, and the stage performance and the lyrics. And it was a really good uh, exploration into that side. I think Nick Egan, a uh, great friend of the band, would probably love that article because it's in his sort of visual space. Uh, but if our listeners want to check that out, that's August the 5th through iMedia. Uh, a great article there. Also, too, on NXS Day, the listener app, B. Uh, do you ever get into the listener app occasionally? Sometimes, Sometimes. yeah. Uh, on NXS Day, they did a, a great deep dive calling Unraveling the Legacy uh, of NXS, uh, which was great. Welcome that one. 
Uh, also, two on the same NXS day, Tim Peacock again uh, came up with his, uh, in the You Discover publication, top 20 uh, NXS songs that uh, uh, with a description of each and things like that. So good old Tim Peacock again channeling the band's uh, history. Another great article, I love this one, B, it's called uh, stairwayto11.com. Uh, as opposed to Stairway to Heaven, but uh, through the Flipboard, a publication within that, uh, on NXS Day, a gentleman called uh, Rene Hansen wrote a great article about the Atlantic music funeral with Kick. And we all know about uh, Doug Morris from uh, Atlantic sort of rejecting the album and the band being given a million dollars to go re-record it, saying there's no hit singles on this at all, uh, which is strange after, you know, 35, 36 years, B. When all these songs all sound like singles on the album, there's like twelve singles. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, exactly. piss off, Doug. How did he get that yeah, job? Yeah. Piss off, Doug. You can go back. To- yeah. Piss off. Yeah. Doug-y. Piss off, Doug. All right. Uh, also, too, B. Uh, a little bit of uh, acknowledgement to a, a couple of the uh, the cover bands around. Uh, I saw one uh, that is going to be playing. Uh, well, actually, it's uh, someone you've interviewed before, Dalacoma. Okay. From the Australian English show. Who I'm seeing this weekend. Hey. Hey. I'm seeing him this weekend. Ah, okay. So September nine and ten, they've got a, a maybe. They've made it a new show. It's called NXS Revived. So oh. it, it sounds like they're they're playing uh, a few different tracks up to elegantly wasted and things. Um, you may get a snippet this weekend. Uh, I do know at Early Beach though on the ninth and tenth in Queensland they'll uh-huh. be playing up there. Um, uh, and also John Stevens from Noiseworks. Uh, he's uh, uh, has already recommenced his In Excess Noiseworks collection around the country. So if you missed it in 2022, he's doing it again. Uh, and I can tell you, he's playing must be at least 50 shows around the country. So he's amazing to go and watch. Yeah. Really, really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, also, to just a couple of little things, uh, big shout out to Gary, Gary Beers. He's got his website up and running for his base business, B. So uh, any budding bassists out there, uh, his website's all up and, and running now. So uh, I don't know if it, what the website exactly is. You might have it, but I think oh, it's the GGB uh, website that you could probably punch in. I'm sure it'll spew up in your browser. Hobie, I, I, I forwarded it onto our, uh, onto our Facebook. They have said something. I'm trying to find it. This picture. Ah, oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. Said, full transparency, these two are scheduling the release of some of their most artistic work to date. New Moon is approaching. So that's Ashen Moon, yeah? Yeah. Uh-huh. Fantastic. And also a little shout out, uh, there's a great little record store in Melbourne that survived years and years and years of technology changes and different consumption methods of music. It's uh, in Greven Street in South Yarra. Greville Records, uh, the, the particular venue is, they've got a ton of NXS albums in their vinyl, uh, particularly. So uh, I can let people know some of the links there. I know Greville do uh, uh, distribute out online, but this is a great record store for those in Melbourne who want to go in and see it. Um, again, I don't normally plug businesses, et cetera, there, but um, they've got some really great vinyl stuff dating back to uh, early in the career and up to later in the career on vinyl. Um, so it's imported too from Canada, different places. So I know where uh, collectibles friends are. Will you take me there when I go? Absolutely. We're happy to. Thank so, you. Um, but B, that's just a snippet of the news. That's about 15 or 10, 15 little, uh, uh, little uh, snippets there. I've got about another 60 to share in the next two or three weeks. But uh, that's it for the news. The one and only Hayden. Happy birthday to you. 
Sister Dutchie, and you've been listening to In Access, Access All Areas with Hayden and Bee.